Good morning, church, or good afternoon, or good evening, whenever you're watching this. Hopefully you're watching it live with us in the morning. It is good to be with you. It is good to be worshiping our great God. We know that uh, the world is an unstable place. There are a lot of uh, tumultuous seasons that we go through, and we find ourselves in one of them even right now as we speak. This week has been a very interesting week, um, and yet our Lord is that sure and steady rock, our foundation which we cling to. And there are a bunch of different news sources out there. It's hard to know where you should get your news, what you should trust, but we can always come back to God's word, can't we? That place that is all reliable and all authoritative for our lives. We can point each other, the place we should be pointing each other is right back to God's word. And we can do so confidently knowing that this is God's spoken word to us. So that's what we're doing this morning. Glad you're here with us. I pray that you will be encouraged, uplifted, and prepared to be the hands and feet of Jesus and the mouthpieces of Jesus this week as you encounter all people in all sorts of different places in life right now. Do you like group projects? You love them, right? Do you remember back when you were in school and you had to pull those, uh, those, those cruddy, uncomfortable desks together in a circle and you stared there across at those other inmates? Remember that? There's Bobby Bonehead over there, right? Doodling in his textbook. There's Susie Study Hall sneaking a peek ever so secretively at her cell phone. Then there's Maddie Makeup over there smacking her lips with that bubble gum, batting her eyes, just hoping that Jeremiah Jock is going to notice her new eyeshadow. And then you think about yourself and what you have to offer in this group. And you're thinking, man, if Nancy Know-It-All doesn't pull through, we are no way getting a passing grade on this project. Do you remember those times? I do. As the 12 guys who had been called into the inner circle stood there staring at each other, I have no doubt that they had some similar thoughts going through their heads. Over there, Simon the Zealot, <laughs> that shady-eyed guy. I wonder how many people he hasn't killed. And then there was Simon the first. You remember that crazy fisherman? The guy who, man, it's just a matter of time before his mat mouth lands us all in jail. Oh, yeah. What about those sons of thunder? I think I remember seeing them out behind the synagogue playing with matches. Oh, and then Thomas, that guy in class who just asked question after question after question. Come on, man. Just put your hand down. Let the teacher finish. We want to get out of here Today, then there's Judas, the Iscariot. I don't know what's going on with that guy. Something's not right in that guy's head. I imagine those disciples, those apostles, they looked at each other and they just thought, I, I can see why I'm here, but you're here? Really? Have you ever looked around <laughs> at the people sitting next to you at church? Be honest. Then there's those other times, right, where you're sitting there thinking that they're looking at you, thinking the exact same thing, and they'd be right. In our passage today, Jesus explains how we got here. 
and what's in store for those who were part of that inner circle. And he gives us four parables. Actually, there's, there's three parables and then an illustra- illustrative question. The first, the longest, Jesus says, that's the one that you really got to understand. In fact, if you don't understand it, how are you going to make sense of all the others? It's the parable of the sower and the soils. Maybe you've heard it before. Let's read it together. We're in Mark chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat. Remember last week we said he said have the boat ready. Now he's actually getting in the boat. And he sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched. Since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and it produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, a parable. What's a parable? A parable is just a short story or illustration that points to a a truth, a, a deeper meaning. Para, it means alongside of. Balo, it means to place or to lay. Jesus is giving pictures. He's throwing pictures out there that parallel certain realities. That's what he he is doing here in the parable of the sower and the soils. In this case, it's the reality of how some people hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus, why he came, who he is, and they step over the line in belief while others hear it and they continue on in unbelief. That's what the parable describes. That's what it explains. He basically gives his disciples a picture of why some people are in and other people are out. Why some are forgiven and some remain unforgiven. Now Jesus, he spoke in parables for a reason. It says this in verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now we noticed last week that Jesus called the twelve to himself so that they might be close to him that they might be mentored, that they might be trained by him before he sent them out. He wanted to prepare them to do the preaching that they were going to do, to have the authority that they were going to have. Jesus wanted them to know what this parable meant so that they would understand why they were there and what to expect 
when he sent them out. He wanted those in that inner circle to know what these parables meant. But there were others who Jesus did not intend to understand what these parables meant. They were those who had already made up their minds. They had already hardened their hearts against Jesus. We noticed last week how after seeing all of the evidence, his power, his authority, and after having the Holy Spirit point to the fact that Jesus is who he claimed to be, after all of that, they still rejected him. Some of the religious leaders, they went so far as to say, he's doing this by Satan's power, not God's power. And that's when Jesus made it clear that out of all the sins that a person can commit in life, this is the one for which you cannot be forgiven. For those people, Jesus spoke in parables. He spoke in parables so that they wouldn't get it. These puzzling pictures, in a, in a sense, they were a form of divine judgment that was put into effect by their self-imposed blindness. They couldn't comprehend what Jesus was saying because they had passed the point of no return. There was no turning back. There was no comprehending. There was no understanding. Jesus' parable of the sower and the soils, it has a hidden meaning. What did it mean? Well, that's what the disciples wanted to know. They didn't understand it at first. Verse 13, do you not understand this parable, Jesus asked? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. The 12 guys that were with him, they needed to understand this parable because they were going to be sent out to preach. And as they preached, they would encounter all sorts of different reactions, wouldn't they? All sorts of different responses to the message, and they needed to understand why some people accept the good news and why others reject it. Jesus gives four different responses that they, can, that they can expect that correspond to the four types of soil that he mentions in this parable. The first is this, is the, the type of soil that is like the path. The, the seeds fall along the path. Jesus describes people that are so hardened of heart. They've heard so many lies and they've embraced so much false teaching that they, when they hear the good news of Jesus, it just falls on deaf ears. They just reject it. That can't be true. You dish it out, it bounces right back. That's the soil that is, along, that is on the path. The second type is this. Second type Jesus describes as rocky. Rocky soil. He says in verse 16, these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And so there's these this type of soil is a people that hear the word, they get excited about it, they feel the emotions, they're overcome by the hype, but it doesn't last like the, the latest fad. It's here one day, and then it's not. I can't help but think of a student 
many students actually, that would show up to youth group back in the day. And they'd show up because their friends were there or we were doing something really exciting or fun. They'd get jazzed about the music or the games or the funny illustrations that were (laughs) very rare that those funny illustrations took place because the youth pastor wasn't very funny. But they, they, they loved those type of things and they loved the camp experience. They answer the questions. They would check the boxes. If you looked at them, you would say, oh, they're just like every other kid here. They probably have a very small faith, and it's growing, and, and, it's, and it's all good. They're hanging with the crowd. It's great. But when life got hard, and, or the challenges became real, and the reality of taking up your cross and following Jesus set in, they just disappeared. Whatever happened this to so and so? You know that that guy who was who was here for a little while, that gal who was here for a little while. I, I, don't, I don't see them anymore. Where where did they go? Oh yeah, that, that person. Oh yeah, they're long gone. You see, when you mentioned that we were going to do that mission trip to inner city L.A. and we were going to sleep on the floor and we we're going to eat really disgusting food and do all that kind of stuff, they went over to the other youth group, the one where they had free in and out every night. And where they had an awesome worship team. And they played video games before youth group. And they had that, that motorcycle team doing tricks in the, in the parking lot. And they were going to have that band come. You know that band that everyone's so excited about right now? That's the youth group they're at now. They don't want to go to inner city L.A. Jesus describes that type of soil. And he's describing a person who doesn't really have authentic faith. They aren't there because they're truly sorry for their sins and they found the answer in Jesus. He's their one and only hope. No. They aren't in love with their Savior. They're in love with fun. They're in love with the hype. They're in love with whatever is going to make their lives seem fresh and exciting. And sadly, that type of fair-weather faith, it's not limited to junior high or high school students, is it? We see it all the time. We see it in big church, don't we? That wasn't any of the guys who were standing there in the inner circle with Jesus. For them, following Jesus, just as just saying, okay, yes, I will follow, answering that call, that meant stepping away from their, their livelihoods, didn't it? Leaving the nets, leaving the boat, leaving the tax booth behind. It meant not knowing what new challenge was going to be around the corner. Where's our next meal going to come from? Where am I going to sleep tonight? Where are we going tomorrow? It meant knowingly stepping into a life that was much more difficult and uncertain than the life that they left behind. These guys were not the rocky soil. But neither were they the next type of soil. They weren't the the thorny soil. Look at verse 18. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The allure of shiny things is strong, isn't it? It's very strong. I had a man serve under me 
for, I think it was just a year as a, as a junior high intern, and he was convinced that God was leading in, him into ministry, and he was just eating everything up and uh, really excited and, and, and zealous for, for ministry and what God was doing, and yet about, the, about halfway through, maybe three quarters through that year, after seeing more and more what what he wouldn't have if he followed down that course of ministry and became maybe a pastor, that's when he, he changed his major. These days, he's, uh, he's very good at making money. He and his wife go on incredible adventures with their amazing cars that can do all sorts of different things. And he has a, anyone would look at him and say, wow, he's, he's really successful in life. But he's walked away from just about every connection with God and God's people. Now, I wish I could say that was an isolated incident, but the reality is I know many people who have gone down that same path, who have had the thorns spring up the cares of this world, the shiny things, the good life, good food, big houses, fancy cars, beautiful people, epic travels, choke any room for Jesus out of their lives. And it's tragedy. Jesus would later warn in Matthew 6, 19, do not light up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He would say in 1 John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides abides forever. Now for the disciples, for those apostles, only time would tell whether or not they would be the type of soil that had those thorns. As we said before, they already knew what it meant to exchange the shiny things of life for the real, true treasure that is found in Jesus. And we know from Scripture Certainly, they were not the thorny soil. But it was good for them. Good for them to know as they cast out the message what different people, how different people would respond to that message. Just as there were for Jesus, there was for Jesus, there would be many different types of ways that people would respond. On the other hand, some would respond with genuine faith. They would actually believe. That's what Jesus describes here in verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. There are some people that are going to hear the good news. They're going to see their need for it. They're going to see how beautiful the Savior is. They're going to embrace Jesus for who he truly is, place their trust in him, and they're forever changed. How do they know that they've been changed? Well, their lives show it. 
There's a transformation that takes place on the inside. There's evidence of change. They're turning away from the things that they were following before they were following God, the things that were not of God, and they're showing signs of God's Holy Spirit doing a work inside of them, and they look less like who they were before, and now more and more like Jesus. He's producing fruit Inside of them, like Galatians 5.22 describes, the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are beginning to spring up in their lives. Imperfectly, yes, but they're there. And the mantra of, of recent years, maybe it's been the mantra of humanity ever since the beginning, I don't know. But, but the way it's said these days, is, it goes something like this. Be true to yourself. Don't let anybody change you. In fact, you do you. Now, in, in some respect, that's good, right? You don't have to have the same haircut or the same clothes as all the popular people out there. That, 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 that's a good thing. You know what? Just be comfortable with who you are. You're, you know, send, maybe you send your, your daughter to high school and you say, you know what? You don't need to fit in with the crowd. You don't need to look like everyone else. Just be yourself. That's not a bad thing. But there's another, there's, there's another respect in which it is not a good thing, right? If we were to apply that to every aspect of who we are, then we, we blind ourselves to our need for change, to our need for forgiveness. Be true to yourself. What's the mantra of those who are outside of the circle? It's the motto of those who refuse to acknowledge their need for a Savior and who excuse, maybe even celebrate, their fallen ways by saying, this is just who I am. It's who I was born to be. It's who I'm meant to be. But those that are in the inner circle, they say something very, very different. They say, I'm not. I'm not who I am meant to be. And they pray, Jesus, take my life. Make it what you intended before I turned away from you. Those inside the circle, they've embraced the gospel. They're the good soil that received it, and it began to grow. The guys huddled around Jesus. They needed a change, and change was exactly what they were going to get from him. Big change, in fact. Jesus said the fruit that they would bear, it'd be 30, 60, 100-fold. Now, no farmer in their wildest dreams expects a crop like that. 3,000, 6,000, 10,000% of what they planted? That's insane. That's, that's, that's like winning the lottery. That doesn't happen. But this is what God's Spirit does inside of people where the gospel takes root in that good soil. What has God been producing in your life? What evidence is there in your life that you are good soil? Is there evidence that God's word has fallen on that good, cultivated soil. If nothing changes after we profess faith in Jesus, we should be concerned. Something's not right. 
if we're not experiencing and, and, and pushing out love in our lives to all those we come in contact with, if there's not a, a new gentleness inside of us, a, a, t- a tenderness, if we're not uh, becoming more and more faithful to others and to our commitments, if we're not forgiving, are the grudges that you are holding against others you do realize that Christ has forgiven you a whole lot. And then we're called to be Christ-like. And just like him, lay down our lives and our rights and forgive others. How many times? Seven times? No, 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 no. A whole lot more than that. Is there fruit in your life? Is there evidence that you are good soil? I pray that there is. The 12 that were in that circle, they were in there because despite all of their oddities, all of their flaws, all of their inadequacies, they were there. Why? Because they were good soil. So what do they do now that they're in? They're there. They're looking at each other. The desks are pulled together. (laughs) They see the strangeness in in each other. It's a motley crew like we said last week. What are we going to do now? That brings us to Jesus' question in verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And he says, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Do you put a lamp under a basket? Well, no, because that's, that's, that's insanity. That's a fire hazard, right? You don't want to burn down your house, but you also don't do it because it's pointless. What good is that? Why light the lamp in the first place if you're not going to enjoy its, its, its light that it gives to the room? Or maybe you want warmth. You're eliminating all of that. You don't hide it. That's Jesus' point. Jesus' disciples have been given light truth that had not been understood for centuries, the mysteries, the, the, the details of God's monumental plan to make everything right that, was, that humanity made wrong, that had been unknown. Not anymore. Now they have it. The apostles are being given it. He said, if anyone has ears to hear, Let him hear. That is, those who have truly heard and embraced what Christ has said and who he is. This, what he's about to say, is for them. Those who find themselves in the inner circle, they have a calling. They have fruit that they are supposed to be producing. The light that has been lit within them, it needs to shine. Those inside the inner circle, they're the ones that have embraced the gospel, and they're the ones who are bearing fruit as they share the hope. But sharing the hope isn't always easy, is it? It is not easy at all. And isn't that a lot for Jesus to ask? Jesus, we see what's happening when you're sharing the hope out here. You want us to do that same thing? That's quite a heavy responsibility, Jesus. What if we don't measure up to your expectations? What if we aren't as good as you think we are? What if we go out there and we shine the light 
the light that you gave us, and all we hear back is crickets. What then, Jesus? What do we do then? I can remember sitting there in class as the teacher divided us up into our groups. She gave out the assignment, and I thought to myself, there is no way. There is no way that my group is going to be able to accomplish this task in that amount of time. In fact, give us 100 years, we're not going to be able to accomplish it. Not with these people. Jesus must have read the minds of the 12 guys. Look at verse 24. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now hear this, Jesus says. Now hear this. As you share the hope, as you shine the light, expect that God is going to work. You can expect that God is going to work. As you are faithful in producing fruit, you're going out, you're sharing the good news, God is going to work. Those inside the inner circle, well, they, first of all, they've embraced the gospel. Secondly, they're bearing fruit as they share the hope and trust God to work. You and I can trust God to work. Whatever you put out, God's going to use. It will be measured to you, Jesus said. God's going to bless the work that you put in with some type of results. But not only that, Jesus says, not only is he going to bless it uh, in a comparable sort of way. The measure you put in, it's the measure you're going to get out. No, he says he's going to bring about results that go beyond what you put in. Far beyond your expectations, far beyond the effort that you put in as you share the good news. He's going to produce abundant results. Well, what if those results don't result in converts? There's other stuff that God can be producing. Your ability to share, it's going to increase. Your enthusiasm, increase. Your joy, increase. Even your reward, is going to be beyond what you put in. But be warned, for those who don't shine the light, it's going to be taken away. They never really fully embraced it from the beginning. These are the ones maybe who made a profession of faith. Maybe they said, oh yeah, I'm, a, I'm on board. I'll, I'll hang out. I'll sing the songs. I'll, I'll go to that church picnic, that church retreat. I'll even go to that mission trip. But their lives don't show any sign of fruit. And they'll be exposed for frauds at some point or another. The confidence that light sharers should have in Jesus, well, that's illustrated in the parable Jesus shares next. In verse 26, he says this, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Here we go with the seed scatterer again, the sower again. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. 
sowers who have faithfully sowed the seed, they've shared the hope that they have in Jesus, they can rest their head on the pillow at night knowing they've done what God wanted them to do. They've done it. Their job is essentially, at least the sowing part of it, is done. Certainly they ought to pray for the seeds that have been sown, the faith of those, that faith would sprout in those who have heard the word. But the rest is in God's hands. It's not in their hands. That's important for us to know. We're often reluctant to tell others about Jesus because (laughs) we think that it's up to us to somehow make the sell. Have you ever felt that way? What if in the end I wasn't convincing enough? Or what if I wasn't clear enough? Maybe I didn't know my stuff well enough or didn't share it passionately enough and they don't respond in faith. I don't want to be a failure. Jesus says, you don't need to worry about that. It was never in your hands to begin with. Not only are there people who are going to be bad soil. They're just going to reject the word. Or maybe they're going to seem like they receive it. They're going to fall away. That's going to happen. But the ones who will embrace it, the ones who are good soil, well, they're the ones in whom God is doing the work. Remember, you're the sower. You're not the one making it grow. And then when all is said and done and God does his miraculous work and you see seeds of faith just sprouting into a beautiful plant, you get the blessing of being there at harvest and enjoying the, 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 the fruit of what God has done here. He says, when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. You get to share in God's work, rejoicing with them in this incredible new life that God has brought about. Those inside the circle, they have embraced the gospel and are bearing fruit as they share the hope and trust God to work. There's a little bit more. Finally, Jesus wanted his inner circle to never forget that what they're now a part of is much bigger than any one of them, even all of them put together. It's much, much bigger. He says this in verse 30. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? Jesus wants his inner circle. He wants them to know that they're a part of something that goes beyond them. This isn't just a band of brothers that are out to do good in the world, make the world a better place. This was the beginning of something like the world has never before seen. It was the beginning of God's kingdom. He says this in verse 31. It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Out of all the seeds that Jesus' hearers would have been familiar with, the mustard seed was the smallest one. And that seed, though it's incredibly small, 
grows. They knew this. It grows to a height that is just, it's just massive. It's bigger than all the other garden plants. Sometimes they're, they're 15 feet tall. That's what this thing that you're a part of is like. This little inner circle here, that's what it's like. It's not very big, but watch out. This is going to be a kingdom that grows bigger and bigger and bigger and is unlike anything else. That should really encourage us, shouldn't it? <laughs> you and I, this little outpost here on the corner of Edwards and Trask in Westminster, it doesn't look like much, especially now with what COVID-19 has done. But what we're a part of is bigger than anything else in the history of the world. Don't forget that. It's big. And you are a part of it if you have genuine faith in Christ, your good soil. That's what God promised thousands, thousands of years ago to Abraham. His family would, would be a blessing to the peoples of the world. His children would be like the, the stars in the sky. This thing's going to be huge. And you and I are children of Abraham because we share his faith in God. We're children of the promise. Friends, this is an incredible thing, something that we desperately need to hold on to, especially when so many things that we put our faith in and our trust in and found our identity in are crumbling all around us. You are a child of the king, a son and daughter of royalty. You are heirs to the promise. And it's bigger and better than anything the world has ever seen. Much bigger than the greatest nation that this world, this earth has ever, has ever hosted. Jesus said, when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. It puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. When you and I walk by faith as the people of God, God uses us to bless others. People like to blame Christians for all sorts of different things these days. Not unlike the early church was, I think, blamed by Nero. Rome was burned to the ground. Oh, it must be those Christians over there. Crazy people. But the reality is, the stability, the morality, the, the, the hospitals that we have, the charities, the advances in human rights, the dignity that's been brought to women or minorities, the idea of loving your fellow human being, the value of forgiving and blessing others, working hard to be a betterment for others, the sanctity of human life, which we celebrate and, and cherish today. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. These are ideas. These are realities that find their origin in God's truth. And they're cherished and perpetuated by those in the inner circle. By the good soil. By those who have genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, it doesn't end there. In spite of the mounting tension, in spite of the oppression that we may be experiencing, Christ will build his church. Make no mistake about that. The day is coming when he will return, 
when he's going to gather his people together as God's united, invincible, eternal kingdom. It's incredible. It says this in verse 33, with, such, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. What an incredible thing this must have been to be there with Jesus hearing these things explained directly to them. This was the beginning. From this mustard-sized group of misfits, the kingdom of heaven, it would spread and it would grow. Take a look around you. You might find yourself asking, who are these people? I'll tell you who they are. If they're among those who have truly heard what Jesus had to say, then they are good soil. They're the people who have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light that they might bear fruit. Those inside the circle, they've embraced the gospel. They're bearing fruit as they share the hope, trust God to work, contribute to God's ever-growing kingdom. Be encouraged, church. Be encouraged, the people around you may not look like much. You probably don't either. <laughs> Shine bright the light of Christ that is within you, knowing that God will bring to himself the ones he desires. Don't be disheartened by a world that refuses to believe. Don't be dismayed by those who cut and run. When the going gets tough, they find themselves entangled by the allure of shiny things. Many will not believe. Many will not stick around, that's okay. Your job is to be a faithful witness who contributes to the ever-growing kingdom that God is building. And one day, we're gonna look around. We're gonna see the faces of those standing around us. Millions upon millions, Revelation tells us. The great multitude whom he has brought into the inner circle, and they will declare... Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Lord, we thank you that what we are a part of, what you have brought us into, is something incredible. And it is something eternal and something that will not let us down. It will not crumble, it will not fall, it will not disappoint. It won't be dis exposed to be some sort of flawed falsehood, Lord. It is the real deal, it is your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for drawing us to yourself, giving us eyes to see, hearts to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. I pray for this people, Lord, that you would embolden them that you would empower them by your Holy Spirit to bear witness to the light that they have inside and bring fruit. Add more to your family. Add more to your kingdom through them. And we will give you all the honor, praise, and glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.